All right, so week two of two so far. Uh, last week we were talking about transgenderism, the church's response. And this week I want to, a lot of overlap, but also a distinction, talk about transgendered people and the Christian's response. So very specifically, I'm wanting to, to really focus on one-on-one evangelism and discipleship. So someone who is a friend of yours, who for whatever reason is not a Christian, doesn't accept what God says on this issue, and yet is willing to talk to you about it, which I think is already a win, right? You have clearly been the type of person who has demonstrated love, who while you are hopefully clear on your biblical stance, um, and yet they, they see love in you, they see truth in you, they see something that will be open to talk to you about. Or, and maybe we wouldn't think of this so much, someone in our church, someone in your community group, one of your children, who claims to be a Christian, accepts God's word, and yet feels very much at odds with what God says about them, and is willing to talk to you about it, um, which are wonderful things. Last week, uh, thankfully, these, these are the categories that I got from Sam Alberry. On homosexuality, I find them extremely uh, useful here, and most of the week was not prepping for this, but prepping maybe for our future Sunday school. Um, Some friends and I have been going through another statement, not the national statement, but a new statement on the social justice quite a bit, and uh, there's a lot to unpack in that sucker. But I'm finding these categories very helpful as I think through that as well. Sam Alberry, I told you, uh, it's a great resource. Anyone see that video this week? What? You're, you're settling for like Sierra Vista High School quarterback versus Tom Brady here. You, you, I really encourage you, if you need that link again, but Sam Alberry, I got his name there, just Google him. He's awesome. I plagiarized a lot from him last week. Um, and I'm sorry for those who weren't here last week, and the printer definitely wasn't going to help me print out handouts from last week. But basically, we went through... A lot of the Bible verses that, that, that show that gender and sex are binary, they're congruent. So God has formed us, He's fashioned us, He created us with a purpose. If He has given us a male body, uh, He's given us a, me a male gender as well, with specific, uh, characteristics, and which typically come out in certain roles. Um, again, not necessarily looking at some 1940s American view of gender roles, but God has created me for a purpose, and he, in, and in a marriage, specifically, he's put a man and a woman there as a husband, wife, as a father, mother, for very good purposes, so if you start to unwind all these things, you really start to, to screw with God's creation in a true sense, and so if we need to address some of that again, we can, some of those passages, some of those terms, if you're lost in the conversation because you weren't here and don't understand the terms, just speak up. The main one there is uh, gender um, discontinuity, where you don't feel what your body is and how God created it, you. And the, the follow-on is gender dysphoria. And that's that really psychological state of, of depression and at loss and at unease. You really, people really do feel like a man in a woman's body. Um, I don't know how you would know that if you're not of that other sex, but I, but I take this as a very sincere um, issue and, and I know there are spin-off social 
things. People go experiment. And, and I know there's that whole thing in the culture. I'm, I'm dealing with the true issue of gender dysphoria. Uh, one, uh, one quote from Sam Albury I didn't say. This pretty much sums up last week. Our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity, so let your body be conformed to it. Right? I feel like a woman, so let's go get a sex change. Let's dress like it. Let's act like it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. And to recognize God has created me. I don't feel that way, but God's created me a certain way. And to now the hard work. What do I do about that? And hopefully you see this can apply to so many areas. Um, you know, you get pregnant. I'm not, I don't feel like a mother. Well, too bad, right? You are. Um, I don't mean it that so cavalier, but there, there, there is a reality. There's a way that God has created the world and we don't always feel at peace in that. We don't always understand what he's doing. We don't necessarily want the calling he's given to us. And that's the challenge. So this week, uh, now I'm using the, the other guy on there. Um, where is his name? What's his name I threw on there? I'm all, my papers are all over the place. Andrew Walker. Now I have not read this book, but I've read multiple articles that come from this book and it's great. So I, I don't know him from the past or anything. This is pretty recent this week, but hopefully he doesn't say anything that's, uh, heretical out there. But I have found a lot and I'm going to plagiarize him a ton today. So here are some things that I want to really get to this week. How do we counsel and care for those who, through no obvious fault of their own, experience a profound sense of gender incongruence or gender dysphoria? How do we effectively evangelize gender non-conforming people? What does repentance mean for someone who has transitioned gender? I mean, put, put the broken eggs back with that. What have you gone through sex change? There's some irreversible things. What do you do with that? How do you live as a Christian? Uh, it's kind of like a missionary in a culture that someone, uh, polygamy. What do you do when someone has seven wives and kids with all seven? What do you do with, I mean, those, those are not easy questions. What does Christian dis, uh, discipleship look like for someone who battles ongoing gender dysphoria? You have a believer, a child, who struggles with still. They're baptized. They're taking communion. In every other aspect of their life, they look completely faithful. What do you, they're struggling. There is a need for the church to be able to cope with disclosure of gender dysphoria among those who experience it and have the courage to share what they're going through. Statement. Here's a, uh, some doctored scripture I'll put together to maybe drive the point home. Hopefully you recognize some of these passages. My brother show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What chapter is that? Anyone know? James 2. For if a man wearing a nose ring and women's clothing comes into your assembly, and a conservative man in a suit and tie also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, maybe up front, while you say to the effeminate man, you stand over there with those screaming children, or sit out in the lobby, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brother, says God not chosen those who are dirty and shameful in the world to be washed, to be sanctified, to be justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. To them shall it be said, such were some of you. But now having died with Christ, we believe that you will also live with him. So the first thing I want to talk about is I've been using the term balancing 
you know, like, it, I find it a tension at times to kind of do these two things, to be biblically faithful and pastorally sensitive. What I don't want to convey by that term, and maybe there's a better one, is it's not like a seesaw, right? You, you gotta give up on biblical faithfulness to be more sensitive or vice versa. That can't be true. Although I, I have to admit, it feels that way at times to me. Um, there is a third way of something, something where we're doing both of those. And so I don't mean these to be mutually exclusive categories. It's just that you want to do all of these, right? And this is what uh, Christians need both conviction and compassion in the transgender debate. There's your fill-in. Conviction and compassion. You need them both. Andrew Walker says this, most of us, depending on our particular character, tend to bend toward love or truth. So maybe that you could say love or truth. The struggle is to showcase the one we bend away, we bend away from. If you or your church tends to listen and love, but bend the truth in your attempt to love, the challenge is this, hold to the truth, even as you love. So you don't give up one for the other, it's just that you do both. Remember that loving someone isn't the same as agreeing with them. That's a key point we'll come back to, I think, today. Sometimes loving someone requires you to disagree. So we, had, we need a biblical concept of love in this, not a cultural concept. But for those of us tempted to teach truth without love, the challenge is this. Don't neglect love. After all, love wins a hearing for the truth. Consequently, our first response to those who suffer from gender dysphoria ought to be compassion and care, not con condemnation or censor. So I did get some good feedback. I'd like to address some of that as I also get into discussion. Um, I think there, there were some that were concerned about how I articulated that. And so I, I could have very well articulated it poorly. I could be wrong, or they could be wrong, or we could all be wrong. Um, this is a challenge. And, and I just want you to really think through these things. I certainly don't mean by any means to give up on truth in your evangelism discipling. I, I remember when I first became a Calvinist, uh, I was evangelizing with someone in college who was Arminian, and they, they kind of had the stage. And they were saying things just made me cringe. That's not true. That's not true. And it, it's like I was trying to figure out, so what is my place in that situation? How important is it to be, I use this word later, precise? You know, it, can you just let some things go? Now, I, I feel like in my one-on-ones, and this is a personal opinion, feel free to disagree, and you'll, you'll have to make your own decision. I, I feel like I can give up on some of that precision and some of that. It's not giving up on truth. It's just dealing with an issue at a time as, a, as I'm dealing with someone. Much less what, what Tim can do from the pulpit. His job is much harder. He's got to really think about all the people in the room and how words might be misinterpreted. And obviously, I assume... Primarily thinking that you've got to stand on that truth and be careful. I'm in a one-on-one -on -one room. There's no microphones and cameras. I got an ongoing relationship with somebody. I make those decisions at least, and I'm happy to be called wrong on that. But that, that is something that kind of comes into this. On the social justice stuff I've been studying, I think that's huge. You know, who cares what the police statistics are, right? I've got someone in front of me scared of their culture. How do I take that fear and take them to a God of peace? Um, that's my stance on that. And feel free to disagree as we talk here. Let me, let me just say some things to get him out there and we'll, we'll start our talks. How wonderfully odd it is to consider that Jesus saves us not by removing us or our challenges from this world, but by giving us the strength to face those challenges together. Your church is meant to be a place of grace, 
a place where everyone, no matter background or struggles, finds homes open and family offered, a place where the door is open rather than the drawbridge drawn up, a place where people are listened to and loved rather than stereotyped and lectured. If you're a church member, God is calling you to serve to that end. Um, I don't want to go too long on this, but any questions on what I just said? Were really important. Okay. Yes. Um, I'll come forward for the mic. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're fine. Uh, there's been times that I've thought, and I think I asked you about this one other time, and I forget what you said, but I used to think that there was something medically wrong inside of people that were homosexual or gay and that it was something that they can't control, and that is not true whatsoever, right? Let me answer that in the next question. You're leading into the next point. That's a very good and fair question. So we just read from Romans 8. So those are those those 10 categories I have. This might not be all conclusive, but I think this really helps us. When you're hit with an issue you're not very familiar with or comfortable with, or even if you are, sometimes we want to hit that immediate temporary issue that someone's coming to us with, their feelings of gen- uh, gender dysphoria or homosexuality or, I mean, anything, racial abuse. It, your friend doesn't necessarily know what their heart is really screaming about. They, they, they have something in front of them. There, there's something in their life. Maybe they're just stressed by their job and they might be fired. And, and, and getting from that and, and dealing with their initial question without discarding it, this is maybe somewhat of an art, but, but even while I might be talking to someone up front about this specific issue, my mind is immediately thinking of things like this, like, how am I going to get this person to these much bigger, much deeper rooted issues? Um, so God's nature, you know, God made the world a certain way. He had an original intention and sin has screwed it up. So to your point, I, I have no reason to think that something medically, either physically or psychologically, couldn't be screwed up with someone. There is a debate on that in some of these issues, but I don't see anything theologically wrong to think that sin has ruined something physically with us. I mean, without sin, I don't think we don't have cancer in the world. We don't, people aren't born blind. So that is a result of sin in general. It's not a result of that person's sin or that those parents' sin, but any anything that's really physically or psychologically wrong with us is ultimately a result of sin twisting this world. So I have no trouble, and I know there are the disagreement. I have no trouble thinking that someone is born gay, that they're born with those proclivities, those temptations, and that now that is their struggle that God has allowed them to be in but also that the gospel has an answer to that. And I, you know, there's a disagreement on that. But in general, I don't think we need to worry about that question. Okay, you come, however this this unbeliever, believer comes to me, however they got there, if it's environment, you know, nurture, nature, parent, in one sense, it doesn't matter, right? I, I have a savior and a gospel to give to them and specific biblical truth to speak into their situation. Does that help, or is there still a question there? Uh, yes, it helps. Okay. It helps. I, I just, I, it almost uh, makes me feel sorry for them. Well, you ought to. <laughs> they just, they're not able or capable. Absolutely. You know, 
And you know what? By their power and by your power sharing with them, they aren't capable. That's why we're going to bring them to a Savior and a Holy Spirit who is capable. Yeah. I hope so. It's in the Bible, so I just read it. <laughs> so the fall has ruined things. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's a good question. I probably don't have a full answer, but in one sense, it's a psychological issue, and I don't know much about like psychological medicine stuff. But there, there is a, there is, there is an issue here that's different than cancer. Um, you, you do have sexual desires, and we have James one talks about this. How, well, on one hand, there seems to be a distinction between temptation and sin. Obviously, Jesus was tempted without sin, and yet in sinful human beings, I don't know if we can ever really draw that line. Um, and we are, we are tempted because of our own internal passions and desires. James 4 talks about, you know, that your passions are at war within you. You struggle, and you fight, and you murder because of your own passions. So we have a sin problem, all of us. And in some ways, that those passions and, and illicit desires look like one way. Sometimes it looks like homosexuality. And so um, th- there is a challenge and a tension there that part of our evangelism and discipleship at the right moment will be you have desires that are wrong. And that those need to be repented of. Um, cancer isn't something you repent of. And so maybe that's a, you know, it's not a totally good analogy. I just mean to say that everything wrong with us is a result of the fall. That, that this creation is marred in some way by how it was. Josh? Well, I, mean, I think it goes back to that quote that you did from Albert at the beginning about God has made our bodies a certain way and our mind is to conform to that. So the treatment is not to change our bodies to conform to our minds. Um, it's to, to the extent that we need change, like in a psychological or physical sense, it has to do with our yeah, mind right. conforming to how God has made us. Right. Right. And I know in the, like the area of depression, which I'm not an expert at, I, I used to be someone who was very against any medicine. Because, hey, the bio, you know, it's a sin issue and we have a savior. I do think there's a place for medicine that at, at least gets you to a neutral place so you can think through these things. There's nothing necessarily wrong with treating a symptom, per se. But you have a great question. Like, some people will say, well, I don't feel this way, so my symptom or body parts or something. Uh, very fair question, so it's not a complete analogy. I mean, someone may have some much wiser words than me to say. Yeah, Ralph. When, when, when Danny Russell started to work with Boy Scouts, uh, okay, I don't know who that is. he went through a lot of stuff with the gays. And he, you know, he knows his, his Zen's group. He studied a lot. And one of the things that you need to come up with is not Christians and sinners are liars. One of the things that we got into was the opinion, and, and this was just somebody that wrote this, is people are not totally committed to 
only having sex with a certain type, a certain gender, that in fact a lot of these people admitted that they really even fantasized about heterosexual sex. So, you know, this theory that they're just born with this predisposition with to do this and stuff, it, it, it may be not true. And that a lot of the homosexuality thing got started because they got into a lifestyle, not because they're predisposed to it. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I actually think there's a wide spectrum of why people go through. I wouldn't say that anyone who is currently homosexual now is necessarily born that way. And I do agree that even if there was, if you were born that way, it's not an excuse. That, that's the key, right? I mean, I, I might be completely born with, um, you know, the sin of anger. And that's not an excuse that I'm born that way. Um, so it is, and it is a tension. I, I'll jump ahead to, Number three, we're not going to really answer it specifically, but one of the great challenges I had from last week was when I mentioned the fact that, like Rosaria Butterfield says, we need to get over the gag factor, that we're all sinners. If we're going to truly be committed to evangelizing and discipling, we, we can't, like, there can't be segments and types of sins that we just don't deal with, right? We put them in the dungeon somewhere, like God deals with. No, we're called to evangelize and disciple everybody. Um, but I thought, uh, someone had a really good point. When you look at Romans 1 and the idea of an unnatural sin, um, don't unnatural things make us gag? And would you say the same thing about child abuse? You know, or you could think of the most heinous thing in your mind, and isn't it right to share God's opinion of a sin and gag over it? And I think that's a really good question. On one hand, I would say that God probably gags over all of our sin. And yet that's not to say, I, I do believe there are different levels of weightier matters of the law, as Jesus says to the Pharisees. There are different levels of judgment and reward. I, I, I think that's a, an okay category. Um, but on the other hand, I, I think Rosaria Butterfield, I'd, I'd be interested to see her comment on that, but I think she was more speaking about, not again, not so much truth from the pulpit, but when you have a one-on-one, you have friendships. That's the point. You can't gag over your friends and... And if you are internally, hold it in, right? You know, you, this person needs to see you loving them and as feeling equal at the foot of the cross and in needing grace just as much. Yeah. I just think she was talking about self-righteous gag. Yeah. There's a difference between self-righteous gag and reactive. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I accept that. All right, where are we? I'm probably jumping around all over the place. Uh, just some of these other categories to make sure we look at. The gospel has an answer for everything. It's not necessarily the answer they expect. And we're going to get into one of our questions. Like, if, if your, if your pursuit of Jesus is to fix my temporary earthly problems, you're starting in the wrong spot. And yet, God promises to feed the righteous and to clothe them and to give them homes to live in. So he's not just a bunch of spiritual things that doesn't care about physical. And so you've got that tension, uh, and challenge going on. But certainly, the greatest hope we have, and as this person comes to us, their greatest problem and greatest hope is not even what they're thinking about, right? Um, William Booth, I think that's his name, he started the Salvation Army. He has a great quote about um, really marrying up the physical needs, meeting those physical needs, as well as the gospel, 
and you can't neglect either. James 2 talks about that, right? If someone comes to you, you know, poorly clothed, and you say to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? That's, that's where faith without works is dead. And so, we want to do both, and yet their greatest need, obviously, is to come to faith in Christ. And I think Pam mentioned last week about sometimes you don't even deal with a specific issue. You just get them to the gospel. Let them hear the gospel. Let God renew their heart and come to faith. And then they're open to hear the Bible or have the Spirit fix certain things in their life. And, and I don't know. There's not, I don't know if there's a cookie cutter answer to this. Like I said, I don't want to be dismissive of their specific issue. I don't, I want to, I don't want to say, well, that's interesting, but let me tell you, and yet, this is what they need. They need salvation. They need to be renewed. Um, and so somehow I'm, I'm working in this long relationship, weeks and months long relationship. That's what I'm focusing on today. To, to deal with the issue and yet get them to see these much bitter issues that God created the world this way. It's fallen. You need the gospel. And ultimately, you have a hope of a new creation. Um, everything is going to be fixed completely in heaven. And, and getting their eyes off their circumstances onto that is absolutely part of our, our hope-filled message for them. Yeah. I think uh, one way to see this, not the only, but one way, is look at Jesus and how he dealt with people. You might want to call them special cases. Nicodemus, he deals with him one way. Then the woman at the well. That's great. He deals with her another way. The Syrophoenician woman deals with her a totally different way. So if you look at the Gospels and you see him, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, it's always addressed to the person and where they are. But it's it's not so much making them a special case. It's showing them how their particular take on things is kind of destroyed. Right. And that is that is easy enough to see you got a great quote here. Um yes, go ahead. That's a bold prayer. I'd like to just make a quick plug for yep. the church. I know we're talking about one-on-one evangelism. But the reason we come to church every week is to do what Martha said. Mm. It's to have God show us our sins using the ordinary means of dead grace. You know, the word and the sacrament Right, right. Yeah, all and all of our chances for community are so vital to what you just said. I mean, on the one hand, to 
I mean, why would you try to learn these things on your own, right? You have people to discuss, and iron sharpens iron. Um, so I've been experiencing in the social justice stuff, like, well, this is true. Like, well, you didn't, here's your blind spot here. Like, oh. But you also have blind spots in our own sin. So you, you pray for God to show it. Well, that very well may be through a brother or sister saying, you know, <laughs> I'm seeing this in your life. Yeah. Not, not everybody that comes, not, not everybody that God calls is going to conquer all their sin. Sure. Absolutely. There's going to be people that are crossed up until the day they die. Right. That came to the Lord. There's going to be people that never gained a victory over their own sexuality. Exactly right. I, I'm sure when I die, I will not have gained victory over my crimes. Okay. So. Yeah. And then, and that's exactly, it's exactly the point. And that kind of goes into that number four. And Chuck kind of raised this last week, and, it, and it, it's a very challenging question. This is something you really need to ask yourself in all sorts, any topic of evangelism and discipleship. If, 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 you know, if they cry out, you can't fix me, what do you have to offer? What's our answer? How do we offer hope? If you can't fix a problem, how, what hope can you offer? Yeah. That's right. What else? You can think through those categories, or how else would you answer? I mean, what, what are you going to say to this person who wants you to help fix them, or whatever words they might use? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Just kind of aside, I think you have to look at um, the opportunity that you have with these types of people struggling with these types of things and these types of questions. You know, I work with a bunch of you know type A lawyers that don't feel like they have any leads, right? And it's a lot more difficult to Right, right. In fact, somewhat to Tim's point of how Jesus dealt with people differently, I think of the the guy who said, you know, I've I followed all the commandments. What else can I do? <laughs> you know, saw all your possessions falling. He hits him with the law, right? He doesn't go right to comfort. He hits him with the law because he's so self righteous and it and maybe that's how we hit. Um Yeah, please. Mm. Exactly right. We cannot, you know, we're all sinners, as you said, so I just think the practical thing as a church, we cannot refer to people that have struggled with sin that we don't necessarily identify with, or somebody in our family that struggled with as a different type of people other than sinners. You know, I, I think that can be very harmful when you're talking to people and if they kind of get a sense that you view yourself as one type of sinner, they're Right. There are other types of sinners. And, and, and maybe you don't mean it's the worst type of sin. Right. We, we don't identify with that. 
So, it, so you you might, if you had a choice, you'd probably choose to grab someone who you can identify with. But what if you don't have that choice? So, someone at your work, on your long commute to work every day, you know, what what do you what do you do in the situation if you're presented with a sin you're not familiar with, or a struggle you're not familiar with? Okay. As opposed to saying, well, yeah, I don't, I'm not really familiar with whatever the trans thing. And right. then launch into the gospel. I think that's, we can, like, even like what you talked about last week, of we all start out with, I can't remember the term you used, is it brokenness? Is it brokenness? Yeah. We all start out as broken people, sinners that are separated from Christ. I think it's important that we make sure that we, you know, we appeal, help people understand that when we're talking about these issues. Yeah, our, Yeah, well, we, we should be able to identify with brokenness, identity, and hope. The things. What else? If someone comes to you with a struggle you're not familiar with, what, what is another reaction you ought to have? Right? It kind of goes back to those big categories. Yeah, Neil? Right? Right. So what they need, first of all, is that. And without that, they're not going to change because human nature is what it is and is as powerful as what it is. And they're not going to, in their own strength, be able to become something different from what they've become sure. as whatever kind of sinner they are. Oh. So what they need is salvation. So what we need to do is effectively communicate the gospel to them. When you say Sure. See, I, I'm more qualified than some people in this regard because I was 42 before I became a Christian. And all the things that people do in lives that are unregenerate, I did most of them. And uh, so that's an advantage in a sense on my part because I can empathize with people. Right. But what everybody needs is what Francis Schaefer talked about. Uh, they need, we all need. Yeah, you're not trying to get transgender to be cisgender. You're hoping that happens through a, because that is better for them, and it's how God created things. But really, that would have a Holy Spirit would have to do that. Um, exactly right. We got a hundred comments. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Right. They need to. This is not a, a transaction where they can stay with a friend until see the light. That'll help you in political discussions too, I think, and all sorts of things. <laughs> Terry. Right. 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 
truly an unconditional relationship. Necessarily, but to me, it seems to imply that. So, but, and, or, or either that, or it's just more culturally acceptable now. But, but why is it more culturally acceptable now? It, I, I'm confused by all this. I'm still, you know, I, I'm following all this, but I still, those are just questions that in my mind. I thought, are, are, there, are we just all? As a culture becoming more depraved or what? Well, those are valid questions. I'll just save it to another Sunday school because I really want to focus on the woman. Is, okay. and, I, and I really mean that. So we probably should have done 10 weeks on this. How about, how about just listen? You don't understand. Listen to them, right? Because you want to, again, you're, maybe you're looking for handles to get to these categories. Um, and you don't know those handles with this person unless you know them. It depends how well you know them already. Um, listen. Let them know that you're listening and I don't know. I, I'm not so sure it's bad that they know that we don't identify with the struggle, that specific struggle, and yet you can, I do struggle with this. This is what I, I do know. And ultimately, we're not going to have the answer. Ultimately, we're getting them to a savior. Barb. Right. And maybe it's some circumstance that comes. Those are someone in an election cycle once said, don't waste a crisis, right? Don't waste a, a, when sometimes God uses crises to finally, for the first time, don't and look for those opportunities. Prioritize your day or your week when you know a friend of yours is going through a crisis. That's the time that you could be something different, salt and light that the rest of the people at work won't be or neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> there you go. And, and that really like stayed with me because um, I think we've seen like we we do alongside this, you know, friendship with someone. And yeah. it's really she's not seen it before. Right. For her, it's like the relationship she's had, uh, believers or non believers, you know, people have an agenda, they're gonna they wanna get what they wanna get, and if they're not gonna get that, then they're gone. Yeah. 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 Alongside them, like, like, okay, you're struggling with this, and you know, what can I do to help? Like, 
I have a long quote I can't read, but one, one of the tensions here is people come to Jesus as they are, and yet Jesus doesn't expect to leave them as they are, as they come in. But where exactly, how far you press that at a certain time is tough. Let me jump to the last question here because it's an important one, and then if we have still overall time for questions. but Would you use a friend's preferred, but not, quote, accurate pronoun if they were an unbeliever? So in this situation, one-on-one, um, I'm not talking about culturally or none of those other categories. And then perhaps a different answer if they were confessing Christian. Anyone brave enough to give their opinion on that? I worked at a, at a school where we had a student that identified as a girl or as a boy. And I found that the easiest way to avoid it was I just always used her name. I just always said I used, it was a shortened version of her, of her given name, and I just always used her name. And I always some, maybe some tactics out there. Yeah, I imagine at some point that's going to run out. <laughs> it might be something I try as well. Anyone else? Yep. Why? <laughs> right. So for the for the goal of keeping that door open. Okay. These people are not happy, well adjusted people. That's true. They are tormented. They are psychologically a mess. The suicide rate among these people is off the charts. Mm-hmm. Whether it's transsexual or homosexual or whatever, uh, they're, they're they're terribly. So would you use the preferred pronoun? So would you use the preferred pronoun? Would you use the preferred pronoun? Would you call a biological boy a she if they ask you to? Why not? Because it's a lie. Okay. Yeah, and that kind of gets to this tension, right? I'm not sure there is a a right answer on this. We talked about this with SSA. Would you attend a homosexual wedding, right? And we had different opinions. Here, on one hand, we... To offend, right. I get it. No, but I, I can see I can see this tension. Like, I don't... I feel by doing it, I'm not being biblically faithful. I can see that response. And I can see... But my point is to keep the door open and get them to Jesus, their real need, and not get distracted. I, I can see this tension. Yeah, but I, I guess I'm just trying to get to the... <laughs> I don't want to wiggle out on tactics, I guess. That's true. Maybe my, my uh, setup is not good. <laughs> no way! How do I treat my friendship now with this person? Because I have my friendships are different with women than they are with men. 
so that goes way beyond the program. Right. That, that gets into the nitty-gritty yep. what is my relationship going to be like with this person. Right. So. Yeah. I saw another hand. Yeah. Like Jesus at the well. He didn't push a foot around when he talked to the woman. Even the man you've got now isn't your husband. Right. Sometimes we have to be very direct. And God will use that. But there's other times when the woman in the doctor will talk to him and says, okay, I'm not going to condemn you. Right. That's exactly right. So we, we've got to look for God's leading with each case because one person, that direct approach, is what will turn them. Right. And I know that doesn't give us our cookie cutter answer we might want, but I guess what I would say is check your motives. Well, are you scared of the gospel and biblical truth? That and you're avoiding? I would say that's not good. Are you are you just not sensitive? Are you like, well, you know, as long as I don't tell a lie, I can say whatever I think about my wife, you know, because I'm a truth teller. Oh, you know, you can hide sins in re- religious language really easily. So, I, some of you might be frustrated, but that's the answer I'm going to give you is check your motive. Why are you doing this? Pray for wisdom and guidance. Sign up to a community group and ask your friends what they think. Another practical way you can love people through this type of thing is to be honest with them. Yeah. Like, That's a great point. Whether they're close to, I mean, wherever anybody is in the process of sin, people, if you're like, can I just pray for you in this process? I mean, you can leave your truth in your prayer. You know, that the God will reveal himself to that person and reveal the truth. Right. And so you're almost, that person's sitting there and listening to that. And so that's the easy way that most everybody will like pray. I've got a closing prayer. Um, If we need to discuss this more, we can. Uh, talk about doing more in the future or a community group could take this up, your your families. Um, yeah, consider that. Let's pray. Our Father, we we don't know what to do sometimes. We are absolutely weak and without answers. Help us to be humble, to not feel like we have to have all the answers at our fingertips. And yet help us to do the hard work of study and preparation and meditation so, so that we would be more prepared. Above all, help us to be those who are biblically faithful, committed to uh, all the truths of the Bible, particularly the gospel. Help us to swim and just live in that reality so that our, our reactions to people become more and more natural as the Spirit is at work within us, so that we wouldn't gag in our relationships, that we would be so humbled um, by our own sin, we would be so thankful for certain sins that, that carry with it greater consequences on this earth that, that we're not struggling with those. Help us to somehow, um, but still only by your spirit, um, portray those truths. Help that to be true. Help us to repent of our own wrong feelings, of the how wrong we may have treated someone. Help us to repent to our, our friends and our brothers and sisters if we treated them poorly, and not to be scared of that. Give us great wisdom. Help us to, to feel humble that we always have so much to learn. We have so much more to be sanctified by in this life. And thank you for 
the sure and final resurrection, uh, that all this will be put right one day. We pray that we could rejoice in all these truths as we, we go now to hear the word preached um, community uh, throughout the rest of the week. Thank you for a church um, that already does so many of these things so well. May we, may we know what it means to be gospel-centered in the right way. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.